Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоню наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Where your faith 
Psalms 37, verses 16 through 17. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. When the Lord stands behind the little, then it on one hand will never be wasted, will never dwindle as we know from many places of Scripture. And on the other hand, it could be exceeded to great fulfillment to thousands and even millions because the righteous hopes not in the little that God has entrusted him, but he trusts in God who has entrusted to, us, to him this little. For example, the widow, according to the words of Elijah, having relied on God along with her son and with Elijah, she had eaten for a whole, uh, she had eaten during famine, very little. Jesus, from the supper of one, one boy, comprised of five small loaves and two fish, had fed thousands of people, and from those that they had not, from that which they had not eaten, they had gathered twelve full baskets. Whereas behind, uh, behind the many that the wicked has. Behind which stands an evil spirit who is a thief. And this person, through this many or through this abundance, cannot, cannot, his desires cannot be fulfilled. Because the wicked rely on riches that become his God through the demonic prince of Mammon. For this reason, Christ had once turned to two brothers. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Perhaps the brother, um, the parents did not have 
a will to separate their inheritance and one brother took it all. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 15. The life of a person does not depend on the abundance of what he has. It does not depend on whether or not he has a lot, whether or not he has a little. It depends on God. Because life is not in money, it's not in riches, but in God. And when people seek not God, but riches, riches in God, they want to gain material success from God. They want to do things in a way that they can provocate God so that He gives them blessings. They will say, Lord, we're going to offer you or honor you right now with tithes and offerings and you won't have a choice but to bless us. But God says, when you begin to think about this, even simply just think about it, you take my functions upon yourself. This is my function to bless you. Your function is to search for the kingdom of heaven and my righteousness. My function is to give you little or a lot. This is going to depend on me. I'm going to look at what I'm trying to prepare you for because if God prepares is preparing for a person something great, he perhaps might lead him through the path of great riches or great poverty. Elijah was a person who was an ordinary, who, whom God had placed before the whole earth as a prophet. He began... He became the father of all prophets because when John the Baptist had come, who was one of the greatest prophets in the history of time, he came with the spirit and power of Elijah. Abraham becoming the father of many nations, Elijah become, became the father of prophets. Take a look how Elijah um, ate, how he lived, what he was clothed in. Take a look, he was forced to live very modestly. You think that God could not have given what he gave to King David so that on his on his table would be a feast from different kinds of, of, of different kinds of foods? Of course he could have, but why did he give David and test him with riches, but Elijah he tests with poverty and during through the duration of his whole life? He sent him to the widow, to the Gentile, widow so that she can feed him during times of famine that he had proclaimed, that he himself had proclaimed over the land. And a small supper gives the widow and her son and Elijah the opportunity to live. And there was not a lot that he ate. What did he eat? He ate a loaf that was cooked on olive oil and then he drank it or he downed it with he downed it with cold water. This was his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No variety, no other variety. Simply this. And he was grateful to God when people who were previously rich, now their riches did not cost anything after they had died. People had purchased different things, different animals for lots of money so that they can eat well. There was such great famine that people began to eat, um, began to eat one another. They ate things that they weren't used to eating. And at that time, the widow from the city had fresh loaves. You know, when loaves are just baked, especially with olive oil, this is a, de a delicacy. 
God wanted to, to demonstrate a symbol on this. It's important for saints to understand because however much is spoken about this, the flesh still remains the flesh. It continually strives towards variety and when something lacks, it wants that thing. One wise person had said this, don't believe in your depths for whatever it doesn't have, it wants. As soon as you have gained what it wants, two or three days, and it stops wanting that, it starts wanting something else. I think you all have endured this in you, in yourselves. Don't believe in, in, your, in your stomach. When you honor God at tithes and offerings, search for his kingdom and allow God to give, allow, let's allow God to give us how much he desires, how much he appoints, because from that, how much he gives us will depend the kingdom of heaven which we must receive. If we are going to be grateful for the little, we are going to thank him for this. He is going to entrust to us more, or he will do this, that he will make it so that this little will not waste or dwindle. He will make it so that this little will become so abundant that you're going to feed yourselves and thousands of other people and you will still have leftovers. Look how interesting the essence behind this is. From little we can be we can make exceeding there could be an exceeding abundance. Let us sing together the song I want to see the city and we will honor God with tithes and offerings, searching for his countenance and knowledge of his glory, his essence. Because from the knowledge of God depends on how much we are going to be in the likeness of him. Moses had asked, show me the path, your path, that I can acknowledge you and I can gain in your eyes favor. Only that person, only the, per the person who finds favor acknowledges God and a price had to be paid for this. People of faith had paid a price. And let us stand together. And I would gladly remind you, each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or in the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words that Moses had received as of a revelation from God, they had to raise their hands on their offerings before God and proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tides from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely, I do not give in sorrow, and I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened, and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so, those of you who have a Bible, you can open along with me to familiar place of scripture to us. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. To find the old way of good, or the ancient path of goodness, is to apply our energy in entering the kingdom of heaven through narrow gates. In scripture, narrow gates are defined by the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. The reigning teaching of Christ is the bond of ancient truths that flow from one another, verify the authenticity of one another, and can be acknowledged through discipleship by hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven and its powers, thanks to the good soil of the heart. The essence of the kingdom of heaven, which Christ called the gospel of the kingdom in the reigning teaching of Christ, is defined by such unearthly criteria and virtues such as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Talking about these three virtues that are the weapon of light and are called to yield the nature of the kingdom of heaven in a person, we must note that this place of scripture is not talking about gaining these virtues of light, but of their demonstration, which points to the fact that in order to proclaim the kingdom of heaven as the power of divine light in the subject of these three virtues, for which there are no analogs in any dictionary of the world, it must first be discovered. And the kingdom of heaven as the old way of good should be sought in the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy, which abide only in the depths of the Holy Spirit. And as we've previously noted, not many are able to find the old way of good as the narrow gates in the reigning teaching of Christ. According to Christ, many can't find the narrow gates in the reigning teaching of Christ due to their stiffness and ignorance, because if they were to find it, they would revile it and consider it a heretical delusion, causing them to inherit eternal perdition. But those who humble their heart before God and become his disciples in order to enter through the narrow gates expressed in the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ will inherit eternal life. To lay a foundation for our study of the old way of good, we turn to the words of the Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was able to describe the order found in the teachings of Jesus Christ. This was the image of the four rivers flowing out of Eden to water the garden, symbolizing the four fundamental teachings of Jesus Christ, each of which contains within itself a triple of functions summing to twelve. The number 12 is the image and standard of the 12 hours of a day, yielding the order of the kingdom of heaven and the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem and the 12 foundations of its walls. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 2, a new version of the translation. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, in the previous version it says, by leaving, meaning leaving, 
in the original, we're referring to sprinkling, by being clothed or sprinkling ourselves with the elementary principles of Christ and putting on the armor of light contained in the supreme teaching. Let us build ourselves into a house of God because it is impossible to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These are the four foundations. When we looked at the doctrine of baptisms, we noted that it has unity in the sense that all three baptisms immerse us in the death of our Lord Jesus, while each one performs a separate function. As it is written, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. All three baptisms pursue one final goal, for us to be able to walk in newness of life. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4. And so, baptism in water in which we are immersed in the death of Christ is called to separate us from the world, and it serves as a seal of righteousness before God that we had received before baptism, that we should have before baptism, before we were baptized in water. Romans chapter 4, verse 11, because we know that um, circumcision is an image. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, in which we are immersed in the Holy Spirit, is called to, through the death of the Lord Jesus, separate us from the vain life of our fathers. Meaning, in this baptism, the Holy Spirit is called to be the seal and deposit of our inheritance. We are called to be separated from the genetic inheritance of our forefathers. So the Holy Spirit is called to be another level of this seal. In baptism in water, there was a certain seal, a level of seal. Here is another level. In him you also trust that after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the deposit of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Baptism in fire, in which we are immersed in the Father, is called to, through the death of the Lord Jesus, separate the old man from the new man, and lead us into the category of kings and priests. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. I'll remind you that the baptism of Jesus and our baptism is different. Again, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, them and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Luke chapter 22 verses 28-30 The powers contained in the functions of all three baptisms can clothe us with power only through our conscious collaboration with the whole fullness, fullness of the reigning teaching of Christ and with the Holy Spirit. 
as well as with the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's impossible to acknowledge them, be clothed in them, accept them without the power of the Holy Spirit. In each baptism, aside from the main function that separates one baptism from another, there is a whole set of other functions that do not work without one another because they are dependent on one another and they define the authenticity of one another. In a certain format, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the teaching of baptism in water and teaching of baptism in the Holy Spirit. We have stopped to study the teaching of baptism in fire, which, as a third foundation of the walls of New Jerusalem, is made from the precious stone Chalcedony, and it is the third foundation of the New Jerusalem. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the third Chalcedony, Revelation 21.19. Luke 3.16, John answered, saying to all, I will remind you of this triplicity of the baptism that is concluded with the most with the most triumphant. It is immersion into the Father, being clothed in the Father. So John says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 3.16 Fire in the twinkling of the precious Chalcedony stone, which defines the atmosphere of the third foundation of the wall of the New Jerusalem, which we've begun to study, is the revelation of the Heavenly Father in which he reveals himself in the name Fire. We meet the precious Chalcedony stone in Scripture only one time in the third foundation of the wall of New Jerusalem, which defines the powers and purposes contained in fire baptism. Chalcedony, like any gem, is a living matter and substance with an ordered structure of development and growth, consisting of a mineral with a dense cryptocrystalline variety of quartz, which can be embedded and modified in similar minerals that belong to other precious stones. This is called the mineral life out of which was created the universe. Because what grows feeds from the mineral life and animal life feeds from this life and our life, let's say the higher life, we eat of these level, all these levels of life. In relation to all other precious stones, it is the most poorly studied and little-known mineral. In the scientific world, it is called the moonstone or carnelian, sardonyx, or sard. However, the most astonishing and mysterious thing about Chalcedony is the fact that all subsequent foundations of the walls of New Jerusalem are varieties of Chalcedony. So this third foundation, Chalcedony, all of the all of the future ones are going to be different varieties of the same Chalcedony. This once again highlights the truth that the doctrine of baptisms is the root system out of which the tree of life grows, or out of which the infrastructure of the kingdom of heaven is built in man in the spirit of man. In order to understand the individual individual powers of this foundation, we will turn to the virtue that is directly tied to the name of God, fire. This is zeal that comes from God, who by nature is zealous. 
In Scripture, the name of God and the dignity of Zealous is seen seven different times, and each time the name Zealous expresses itself in the name Fire, and the name Fire expresses itself in the name Zealous. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a zealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. From the combination of these names, it follows that the manifestation of divine fire is none other than the manifestation of divine zeal. For love is as strong as death, zealousness as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. In this revelation, we can see that divine zealousness as a flame of fire is a definition of the love of God, agape. Exodus chapter 34 verses 12 through 16 says, Here God demonstrates himself in the name zealous, in the name fire. He says, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Zealous, is a zealous God. He is zealous God, lest you make a covenant with inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Practically, all Ten Commandments were called to honor and guard this great and fearful name of God, so that along with the powers of His zeal expressed in fire, He could protect Israel and destroy the enemies that rise up against it. Nahum chapter 1 verses 2 God is zealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for his enemies. The zeal of the Lord reserves wrath for his enemies. The enemies of his people are his enemies. Those who touch the apple of the eye of his people touch his apple of the eye. Therefore, according to these words, we can conclude that the powers contained in fire baptism are called to protect us from the enemy. We should note that God, being a zealous God, which expresses itself in a consuming fire, is impartial, by virtue of which he stands up for the protection of every person who practices righteousness. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So it doesn't matter from which tribe you are, from which nationality, from which tribe, from which tongue. If you act according to righteousness, the zeal of the Lord is going to protect you. With his fire, he is going to protect you as he had protected the people of Israel when they walked 
out in the wilderness, and upon, upon them was a fire, a pillar of fire. If we look deeper, the fire baptism, first and foremost, protects mankind from devouring holiness of the Father, which is the expression of his devouring zeal. And when a person fails to offer fruit of holiness, then God, by the power of his devouring fire, blots the name of this person out of the book of life and destroys him with the fire of his zeal. Joshua chapter 24 verses 19 through 20 but Joshua said to the people you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God he is a zealous God he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good Thus, it is the divine nature of all-consuming and devouring zeal illuminated in the precious chalcedony stone that expresses the property in the third foundation of the wall of New Jerusalem. To understand zeal, which defines the character of this foundation, we will turn to the name that is engraved on this foundation. Because it is specifically the name that yields the dignity and character of Chalcedony, which in this foundation yields the work that God does with the powers that are contained in this name. And this power in the third foundation, as we have already mentioned, is the Heavenly Father's all-consuming fire of zeal. And the name that is engraved on the third foundation of the wall of New Jerusalem is the name James, the son of Zebedee. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and third, James, the son of Zebedee. Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. When studying the name of the apostle that is written or engraved on the twelve foundations of the walls, we must note that the name of an apostle could be comprised of two, sometimes three names. For example, from the list of the names of apostles, there are two of them that are named James. The difference between both is seen in their second name. James, whose name is engraved on the third foundation, is James, the son of Zebedee. And the name engraved on the ninth foundation is James, the son of Alphaeus. And we will talk about this name further on. But according to scripture, the combination of names belonging to the apostle, whose name is engraved on the third foundation of the wall of New Jerusalem, is James, Zebedee, Boanerges. James, Zebedee, Boanerges. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that they might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he called the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Mark chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And the Boanerges literally means sons of thunder, heralds of the wrath of God, fulfillers of God's wrath, the spokesmen of the zeal of God, sons of divine fire. In the name James lies the root Ames, which means leave a mark, defend, win, stop which means James holds on to the heel, he will stomp, he will leave a mark, he will protect, he will win. In Hebrew, the name of his father Zebedee means fisherman. 
And in Greek, it means God gifts or the gift of God. The combination of these two names means that through the gift of grace, God will leave his mark, will protect, and will achieve victory. And so when Jesus looked at James and John, the sons of Zebedee, then according to revelation from the Holy Spirit, he saw the opportunity to demonstrate the fire of his zeal in the combination of these names, because of which he gave them the name Boanerges. And so the combination of these three names on the third foundation of the wall of New Jerusalem means that God will protect His holiness in people through the gift of His grace that is contained in the dignity of His all-consuming and devouring zeal. According to this meaning, baptism in fire in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ is the establishment of the kingdom of God in the heart of a person. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 32. There are many examples where God establishes in his kingdom inside of a person and how he can do this. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The seed of the word of God about the kingdom that a person accepts in the soil of his good heart. If his soil is good, then there grows a large tree. And then in this tree, Birds, or rather God's revelations can be can be found. His birds are these revelations. A tree is necessary. If a person wants to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, he needs to have this tree, the tree of the kingdom of God, so that the revelation of God in the form of these birds can come and make nests in its branches. This is a parable. It's an image. This is what baptism in fire means, when God immerses by the power of the Holy Spirit, when God immerses a person in himself, in the name of the Father. The apostles' disciples knew that Jesus was not that figure that he is a pathway to the Father, to this figure. And he himself spoke of himself that he is the path to the Father and not the Father himself. He said, I express the image of my Father. Therefore, water, baptism and fire in the heart of a person will be inconspicuous because it will operate in the dimension of our spirit. Because many want to see, to hear what baptism and fire is. They think that this is something emotional. Just as I had told you before that one young person came up to me. I also was young at that time. And he said, I, today I, I underwent baptism and fire. And I said, what? How? This man says, I went out in the morning. I went out from my house. And a neighbor, my neighbor was naked. And fire came upon me. But he said, I still walked past her. And I said, Did you have intimate relations with my wife? He says, With your wife? He says, Yes. I said, Well, he is so called satisfied by his wife. And having seen this woman, he grew excited. And he made the decision to walk by her and not go inside of her house. And he thought that in doing so, he underwent baptism in fire. Can you imagine how? Can you imagine that people think this way? 
people think that this is a feeling, but I will tell you that according to scripture, baptism and fire in the heart of a and the heart of a person will be unnoticeable because this is tied to the implementation of the kingdom of heaven and it will act not in the dimension of our feelings but in the dimension of our spirit. Therefore, baptism with fire will be impossible to feel in the emotional sphere of human feelings, but it can be defined through our government over our feelings. How will you be able to define it then? Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Do you understand that baptism and fire, when we are immersed and when fire, the fire of the Heavenly Father through the death of the Lord Jesus clothes us with its authority, that here he implements his kingdom in us, but this does, is not noticeable. Even baptism in the Holy Spirit can occur unnoticeable. A person might um, not feel anything. I, many people, I've ex I've, I had explained how to accept baptism in the Holy Spirit. Most of them, they did not, a lot of them did not feel anything, but they just began to speak. One young person told me, he began to speak in tongues, and then he, all of a sudden he stops with doubt on his face. I said, what's going on? And he said, I'm not feeling any kind of joy. And I asked him, can you show me a place of scripture that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you will feel joy? It doesn't say that. It says when you accept the Holy Spirit, you will accept power. You have already accepted joy when you had accepted salvation, but right now you're not accepting joy, you already have it. Therefore, now you are accepting the power of the Holy Spirit. And this power is supernatural. It is sent into our spirit and not into our emotions. Yes, I understand that some people might simultaneously be grasped by their emotions. But this is our spirit that has accepted in itself the Holy Spirit. It can direct these emotions, but it can also not touch them at all. It could leave them in the unknown. Therefore, you should never, never be, never be doubtful. Because for people, they think some people they think baptism in the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of emotions. They excite themselves emotionally and say, "This is such power. This is such strength. There's no power there." Any person with his own voice can excite himself, either raising it or lowering it. We can excite ourselves with our own emotions, with a song, with music, with prayer. We can excite ourselves, but the power of the Holy Spirit, it completely stands on a different side. And therefore, when we accept the kingdom of heaven, let's remember, when or we accept baptism in the Holy Spirit, it will come unnoticed. Therefore, don't try to define it and and let's take a look at how we can define that we've accepted baptism in Holy Spirit, baptism in, in fire. Because after accepting baptism in the Holy Spirit, the doors to accepting fire baptism will be opened. Fire baptism in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ is the moment and state when a person, through the zeal of his dedication to God, becomes a burnt offering.
Mark chapter 9, verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. When we, according to the level of our dedication, when we do become or we do meet the requirements of total dedication and sanctification, then this fire will come upon us. This fire that we might not always be able to feel in our emotions, but it does come into our spirit. Here it says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Christ shows how a sacrifice was seasoned with fire. To be seasoned with the divine fire of zeal and fire baptism is to be protected from the corruption of sin and at the same time be separated in order to receive the ability to offer fruit of holiness. When you preserve, for example, tomatoes, cucumbers, and when you season it with salt. Why do cucumbers and tomatoes, when they're supposed to rot, because they have an element of decay there, they have this virus there, how come it does not decay and for years it can be preserved? Because salt preserves it. It destroys the virus. And this decay image of sin cannot cause decay salt is a metaf metaphor of the holy spirit is a symbol of the holy spirit pointing to his natural property of holiness that on one hand is expressed in his absolute non-involvement with sin on the other hand it expresses the actions of holiness expressed in his works that pursue the goal and interests of the heavenly father because of which the spirit of god is called the holy spirit Therefore, the definition of holy in relation to the Holy Spirit is his eternal natural property and state, whereas the definition of the word holiness in relation to the Holy Spirit in his, is his function or the manifestation of his works. So he comes down upon man in the form of fire, representing the Heavenly Father in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, representing his holiness. With regard to us as children of God, the word holiness refers us to the heritage of God, the fact that we're born of God, and literally means redeemed by God, holiness of God, separated for God, belonging to God, taken by God as his portion, inheriting with God, partaking to God's nature, tied to God by one fate. And the word holiness in relation to us means expressing the holiness of God and the subject of salt in our words and actions. Basically, the manifestation of holiness in us in the subject of salt is the result of baptism and fire in the face of the Holy Spirit, because the fire of the Holy Spirit seasons a person with salt only when it comes down on him. According to Scripture, no one can be seasoned with salt and fire baptism without cooperation with the Holy Spirit in the sphere of the law of grace. Only in the boundaries of the laws of grace can a person be seasoned with the Holy Spirit or be baptized in fire. Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The attempt to demonstrate holiness and dedicating oneself as a burnt offering without being filled with the Holy Spirit in the sphere of the law of grace leads to spiritual blindness, pride, 
stagnation, trampling on grace itself, and finally spiritual death. This is what I had talked about before. When a person accepts baptism in the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues, and when he doesn't understand what this is, he thinks that he is spiritual. He thinks that he is being led by the Spirit. When we're talking about the nature, not about the face, not about the person. If you don't have the nature that God has, the nature of Christ, the nature of his meek and humble spirit, then you do not belong to the heritage of God. Because baptism in the Holy Spirit with the gift of tongues comes upon those people who have the nature of God, who were born of God. And we become holy not when we accept baptism in the Holy Spirit, but when we accept salvation as a gift of grace in Christ Jesus. When we accept this righteousness, and only then in baptisms do we affirm this righteousness, seal it, and receive the seal of righteousness. Therefore, the ability to keep a balance between grace and salt fully depends on the role and responsibility of a person. Second, the lack of salt, as well as its abundance, will turn grace into either debauchery or the letter that kills. Third, it is salt in the subject of holiness that defines and regulates a correct relationship toward the grace of God as an all-devouring and fierce flame of God's zeal. God had shown me that, in fact, the law of grace is the all-consuming zeal of God. It is stricter than the law of Moses. Only thanks to the presence of salt that grace can be called grace and not a reason for debauchery. Because salt itself is not grace. But salt is sanctification. It is a relationship. How can you come to the all-consuming zeal of holiness without being salted, without being sanctified? Defining the natural essence of grace, we concluded that grace is not something abstract that cannot be given any specifics or any definition. But it is the definite and unchanging law of God the throne of God to which saints are called, the ark of the, the covenant was called the throne of God. It's a definite and unchanging order of the kingdom of heaven. Grace. It's a specific doctrine of the kingdom of God. It's a definition of all that constitutes the kingdom of heaven. It's a certain combination of all that who God is for us and what God has done for us. It's the definition of all that comes from God. All these definitions are based on and gain their legal power in the new covenant of God with man, which first... In the dignity of the zeal of God, it flows from the law of Moses. There God also showed, showed zeal. It flowed through there. But it is stricter in grace. Second, the law of grace and the dignity of the fiery zeal of God is opposed to the law of Moses. Third, the law of grace and the dignity of God's all-devouring zeal is exalted above the law of Moses. Fourth, the law of grace and the dignity of the flaming fire of God's zeal abolishes the law of Moses. 
Fifth, the law of grace and the dignity of the divine fire expressed in the very strong zeal of God replaces the law of Moses. Sixth, the law of grace and the dignity of God's fiery zeal is independent of the law of Moses. And seventh, the law of grace and the dignity of God's fierce zeal is stricter than the law of Moses. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God with the fire of his zeal is going to multiply the rule of the throne of David which is referring to the church of Jesus Christ at the who, at the head of which is Christ. Isaiah 37-32 From Jerusalem shall go a remnant, the small, small flock, the kingdom of heaven, and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pay attention here that it is the fire of God and baptism in baptism and fire only it can do this. We truly ourselves on our own will not be able to be delivered from our old nature. But it is the zeal of the Lord that will do this when we cooperate with the powers that are contained in baptism and fire. We know that in Hebrew the word grace expressing the fiery zeal of God is tied to our inheritance in Christ Jesus. It comes from the root of the verbs provide, take care of, prepare, which points to the fact that through this, through His grace founded on the greatness of the New Testament, God provided, took care of, and prepared an inheritance for a person in the subject of complete salvation. From which it follows that there, that where there is no mutual bond between God and man based on the greatness of the New Testament, the grace of God and the dignity of his seal does not have its own legal framework. And a person cannot make this covenant where he wants, how he wants, and when he wants, but only when he finds a good wife. We can endure baptism in fire only when we find a good wife. By good wife, we know that we're referring to a local church of Christ that first does not separate herself from the unity of faith or from the universal faith that is Catholicism, and second, where there is a preached teaching about the kingdom of heaven and the subject of the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 23, He who finds a good wife, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who has found this and who has received this, if you have found this kind of church that does not separate itself from other churches, it is a part of the universal faith. Do you know when people say only the Pentecostals are saved or only the Catholics or only the Baptists, only the Orthodox, run away from these kind of churches? Because a good wife is the one who does not separate herself from unity and faith. There are all kinds of different denominations that have been created, different kinds of names of churches, but in all of these churches, in the Orthodox denomination, in Pentecostal, in Baptist, 
um, and different places there are people of God, children of God there who are born again. Yes, of course, due to their carnal nature, they follow their leaders who teach them, who say only this and only that. You know, I already, being a young boy, had already began to understand that it's not just Pentecostal, Pentecostals who would be saved, but Baptists too, and the, and the um, Moroccans too, and the Orthodox too. Not all of them, but some of them. And understanding this, I began to go there being a, a small boy. I found great joy in the in the church of the Malakans because they had an interesting church in that the, the reader, he uh, read a place of scripture out loud and the whole church then sang that place of scripture. They didn't sing how we sing. They simply only sang Psalms of David, places of Isaiah. That's how they understood. And they had sung. And then if they had prayed, uh, for them, it was forbidden to pray from their own mind. They had to find some kind of prayer from Scripture, prayer of David, and with this prayer, they had to pray. They had to learn it. And that's why the church grew quiet, and one person would begin to pray one psalm. He would pray, not just reading it, but in this psalm, he placed himself in it. And of course, sometimes, if all of a sudden they lacked something they lacked something that they would uh, sing it in a song that they didn't have something and others would would give them what they need. But still, I saw how much they love the Lord, just as we do. And despite the fact that the brothers of the church I belong to and the Pentecostals, despite the fact that they said, you know, let the Lord lead him, he doesn't need to be told that this is a sin. But we were neighbors to the Malachites. The kings, the one of the kings previously, he had sent them uh, to live in a certain area, and there were large communities of this of these Malachites, just like in Turkey and in, in Georgia, there were communities like this. And I was, I lived very close to these communi communities where there were Malachites. And people who lived near us, they thought that this that they were a nationality. The Malachites were a nationality. I had a neighbor. He said, "Your children are beautiful because you are a Baptist and she's a Russian." That they were mixed. That's how people understood it. Well, so what am I trying to say? If the church that you have come to, if it says no, only uh, only we are going to be saved, this isn't true. We've already read. Take a look. Not one Jew or not one apostle would have agreed that Cornelius, the Gentile, would belong to Christ, would be saved, and would partake to the promises that were given to Abraham and his descendants. But when God had revealed to Peter a revelation had showed him where there was a table that was revealed and there were different unclean animals. But God says, Peter, 
pierce them and eat them. And he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I can't. God tells him, Peter, what God has cleaned, don't consider unclean. And the table was closed up and lifted up to heaven. And Peter had was then meditating, what could this mean? And at this time, the Lord tells him, there at the gates stand people who came after you. Do not be afraid. Go, out, go follow after them. People from Cornelius had come, and they tell him, Master, our master had prayed at this hour. He was a centurion, and an angel came to him and said for us to call you, that you must say those words that him and his household will be saved by. And Peter went with them. And then he was... He was made fun of for going to those who were uncircumcised. But he did go, and Cornelius told him how he in the ninth hour was fasting and praying. Peter, you thought you alone are fasting and praying? Take a look. The Gentiles also pray, and they pray to your God, the God of Israel. They search for him just as you search for, seek him. And then he began to tell them about Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is descending upon them, and they all begin to speak in tongues and prophecy, just as Peter says, first has happened with us. And then he stood up and said, Now who can forbid them to be baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or in the name of Jesus Christ? And he had baptized them. Thus, thus began the salvation of Gentiles at the head of which was Abraham, father Abraham. He said, God told him, I will make you the father of many nations. Therefore, if there is no teaching like this, if there is no teaching about the kingdom of heaven, then you have not yet found a good wife. But he who does find a good wife, he will truly receive this fire. Therefore, from this and other places of scriptures, it follows that no one can conduct full sanctification and dedication on his own without being taught through hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, and if he is not a partaker to the body of Christ. And Therefore, without partaking to a congregation in which God revealed to man the essence of the reigning teachings of Christ, no one can survive baptism in fire and accept in their heart the abiding teaching or the abiding kingdom of the Heavenly Father. Furthermore, baptism in fire in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ is the only way to acknowledge the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1-2 through 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. I'll stop here. Pay attention here. Because the God, uh, the fire de descends upon the sacrifice when it is prepared, when it is ready, and it says, prepare your bodies, this kind of sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, a person cannot acknowledge with his body that this is the will of God, this isn't the will of God. Yes, he's learned that there is a good, acceptable, and perfect will, three levels, but still, he's not going to be able to understand it or acknowledge it with his heart if 
He does not dedicate himself if he does not perform total sanctification and total dedication. Only when he does this, upon him comes the fire of God, and to him is revealed this will in his heart. There is a big difference between the knowledge of our mind that puffs up a person and the knowledge of the heart that edifies a person. Therefore, to acknowledge the perfect will of God with our intellect is not only impossible, but also a crime. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 6 and 10. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, meaning that you think that with your mind you can understand my thoughts, you say, this is how I see this, this is how I understand it, and not what God has revealed to you. And sometimes you, with the revelations of your intellect, say the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. And he says, because you do, you shall die of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. Baptism in fire, in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ, is the fire of zeal in its positive sense. As we had read, set me as a seal upon your heart. Pay attention here, as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, zeal is cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire and most vehement flame. So, when a person is immersed in this fire, he, his zeal for God, grows. Now it's impossible for him to be taken away from this. He is going to reject all of it. He is going to be so in love and holy with holiness, so in love with it that he is going to feed from it. This is going to become his food and his drink. He is going to rejoice in God and he is going to be pure from all that is defiled and he will not be defiled. Furthermore, baptism and fire in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ is the mutual opportunity to demonstrate zeal and diligence in order to do good to each other. This is not just a manifestation of Zeal, for example, um, love without zeal is not love. God has zeal for us. A woman has zeal for her husband and the other way around. Wrath is cruel and anger is torn, but who is able to stand before zeal? So, when a person expresses zeal for God, God reveals himself to man. When a person expresses the zeal for God, this rational zeal, God then reveals himself to men. You will receive baptism in fire when you demonstrate this, because in order to produce total sanctification and total dedication to prepare yourself for a sacrifice, the fire can come upon you. Only your zeal for God can do this. And then God is going to answer to the zeal with his zeal in the positive sense. He's going to say, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Not in the beginning I to you and then you to me, but first, you draw near to me, know me, study me, ask about this good way, find out about this good way, find out about this path that leads to rest. Furthermore, baptism and fire in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ is a funeral of our personal ambitions and pride.
James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns zealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, in fire baptism, we'll be buried our own ambitions and our pride. Baptism in fire, in which the Holy Spirit immerses a person in the death of Christ, is a participation of a person in the outpouring of God's indignation upon the nations. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation nation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 8. God, with the fire of his zeal, is going to be able to devour the earth without the cooperation of man who is in the likeness of him. When he had said, let us create man according to our image and our likeness, and let him rule over the earth, he had limited himself to this man who is in the likeness of him. Now, God cannot pour out his devour or do anything on earth without this man, without this sovereign master whom he had created himself. He will be on this earth just as I and there. And therefore, this person must be collaborated with. And that which is written, that which God is going to do, will do, and has done on this earth, He is going to do through those people who are in the likeness of Him. Those people who are going to be clothed in His fire and who are going to be just as holy as He is holy. Considering the fact that our time has come to an end, we are going to pray. I wanted to speak more about zeal, but I repeat that our time has concluded we have a triumphant part of our service coming up and all of those who desire to cast out their fears their pride their dependence on anything besides God, you can draw near to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is going to work in your hearts. And when we pray and proclaim together our pain, our sufferings, our desires, the Holy Spirit, according to His unchanging word that He has offered to us, is going to make in your hearts that which you desire. He is going to give you an imperishable riches and make you prepare to accept the kingdom of heaven in the bread and the wine. Let us pray together. We wait for you at the altar. I will pray along with you and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He can heal you, protect you, deliver you from shame, destroy the chains of death and sin, your eyes closed, your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you are ready to receive from God His gift of grace. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fear, with my shame, with my sin, with my pain, my illness. I ask you, Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, protect me, take away my shame. I accept your word in my heart, in the Holy Spirit. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, 
I am washed. I am cleansed. I am healed. I am restored. I am justified. I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven you and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down upon you with his holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May he give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands, but draw, but not draw near to you. May every virus in you, may every illness, every poverty, every sin, let it not draw near you and your descendants. May all this come upon you and upon your descendants and may it be fulfilled upon you. Amen. Each time we stand before this service, a person's intellect can't understand this. He always stands before this mystery. He is simply forced to simply agree he is not given understanding. He can't understand, the mind of a person rather, can't understand that that which we are going to do right now, that this bread will become the body of Christ and this wine will become his blood. The mind of a person refuses to understand this, but a good thing it accept it accept it we can accept it with our hearts first corinthians chapter 11 beginning at verse 23 for i received from the lord that which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Tests himself, not his neighbor. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. In this mystery contains our is contained our healing, our life, our fate. I remind you that after the first um, eating of the Passover behind the door that was anointed or sprinkled with blood, the doorposts and the lentils, when those people who were behind this door, whether it be the Egyptians or Jews, it didn't matter. And at that time, there were many having heard about this. They had closed the doors and they had done that which Moses had said. They had united themselves with the Jews. In this moment, something unique had occurred. When they had eaten of the Passover lamb with herbs, 
Behind the closed doors in this night, they had received healing from all of their illnesses. Those who had lost an eye, an organ, an arm, those who were blind, those who were, who were sick, they were healed. The whole genetic lineage that was in them was destroyed. They didn't know what would what would pursue this. And furthermore, they were made free. They were no longer slaves of Egypt and they had robbed Egypt. All of Egypt and all of its riches went with them and they went out and no, no one who was sick was among them. They believe that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do and always wanted to do. Therefore, each time you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death in which all of your sins, my, or, or, excuse me, in which all your illnesses, sins, all of it was laid on him. We exchanged fates. You can figuratively or imaginatively imagine this, that your illness is upon him. He took it upon himself and he gave his health to you and call it in existent as existent. When you begin to eat this, say in your mind, I thank you, Lord, for my healing. I thank you, Lord, for my freedom from the sin and this will occur. I will ask all of you to stand and we will pray over the, over the bread. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your broken body. When it goes across the rows of your people and we draw near to it and we eat of it, may your inheritance be blessed and may every illness be cursed in your, in your heritage. May they be delivered from the authority of Satan and may they be your kingdom. We thank you. We bow down before you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of, men. remembrance of me. Please be seated. Those who are approached break apart. This is a symbol of humility, a symbol of readiness to accept that format of teaching, that image. Proclaim it. Proclaim that you are healed. And I, on my end, am going to proclaim, let every illness be cursed in your children who right now are accepting your body and are eating of your body. You have said that those who are going to eat your body are going to have life in them. Let this eternal life, this eternal blessing come upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. Begin to act with your, the power of your Holy Spirit. May the source of healing be opened in your broken body. And the oil, the healing oil, let it be poured out in this bread in the name of Jesus Christ. For each time, for as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.
Всякий раз, когда вы едите хлеб сей или же пьете чашу сию, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Isaiah chapter 53 says, Who has believed a report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as root of out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we did not esteem him surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted и понес наши болезни, а мы думали, что он был поражаем, наказуем и уничижен Богом. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When it talks about the chastisement for our peace, there is a star that's placed here that shows us that the original says chastisement of all people, nations, tongues, tribes who were called out and redeemed, that there was chastisement of only those whom he has redeemed and not just the whole world. But every nation, tongue, tribe who were redeemed from this world this is for him that he had died. Therefore, each time you eat this bread or drink the cup of the Lord, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we have said before, that the kingdom of heaven in the subject of baptism and fire comes unnoticeably. So healing also comes unnoticeably. Don't try to feel it. You will at once discover that your illness has disappeared. God is going to do it unnoticeably. Let us stand and let us pray and thank God for the cup. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the new covenant, the cup of the covenant that is poured out for the restoration of many nations. When it comes across or comes to your people and we drink of it, let us be blessed before your countenance. Your zeal, let it clothe us and let our illnesses be devoured and let us can begin to live in this zeal. Let us be hallowed in the name of Jesus Christ. Let all of this come upon us and be fulfilled upon us. Amen. You may be seated. Those whom are approached may stand. The cup is Christ. He is one, one cup out of which we drink. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. For all of you are sons of God in Christ Jesus. If you've accepted the kingdom of God in this seed, all of you are sons of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, blessed is every person, and God calls him, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly are the wicked or those people who were previously holy but then had distorted their paths and who did not submit to God's order, who had distorted the teaching of Christ, who had challenged it, challenged the representation of God, called themselves leaders, or chosen leaders for themselves. These are the wicked. To walk in their counsel, to speak with them means to be cursed. Here it says that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not communicate with them. Separate yourself from these people. Bad company corrupts good morals. Because now they call Christ a completely different person who is actually called Satan. And scripture says that these are enemies of God. They call themselves Jews, but they're not so. They are the gathering of Satan. Yes, they gather and they sing the same songs, perhaps, but there is no spirit of God there. There is only a false spirit who can excite, that perhaps might excite their emotions and they might feel that God is there, but there will be a point when this will be revealed. Before rapture occurs, this will be revealed not just there. There will be revealed those who died. They will say, Lord, we are yours. How do you not know us? But he said, I will make it here that when they come, they will bow at your feet. Before God raptures his church, he will create in the church among those who had honored him with tithes and offerings. He will show for his disciples. He will show the difference between those who serve God and those who do not. If someone has perhaps has been mistakenly passed by, please stand. If not, I will ask you all to stand. And we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.